I invite you to stand for the reading of the word. We're in the book of Acts. We will be in Acts the rest of the summer. We're taking our time. Acts chapter 9 this morning, beginning with verse 36. This is the new revised standard version. Now in Iapa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lauda was near Yapa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to get him with the request, please come without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put out all, all of them outside, and then he knelt down and he prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes. Seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and he helped her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Yapa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he, Peter, stayed in Yapa for some time with a certain man named Simon, a tanner. The word of God. You could be seated. That is our story this morning. What do you know about the woman Dorcas, also called Tabitha in the Bible? If we had chance to chatter back and forth, some of you have something you would say to that question. So I asked my husband early in the week, because I've been having a little trouble with this story, right? So we're driving and I ask my spouse, what do you know about the woman named Dorcas in the Bible? And he said, she liked to give people things. I said, is that the story? He's, he always thinks this is gonna be a test and he's gonna fail. This is a serious conversation we're having. Is that the story? She likes to give people things, the end, let's go home. No answer. I said, do you know her second name in the Bible? He said, the scientist, could I have a multiple choice option, please? <laughs> sure, I'll play along. Here's your multiple choice option. Dorothy, Toto, Tabitha, Charles. He says, I will go with Tabitha, good choice. Do you know why she has two names, I asked him? We're driving a ways. Why do you think she has two names? It's a short story. We don't always get the names of people, we rarely get two names for people, and when people are healed, we most rarely, rarely ever get their full name. Why do you think she has two names? Why did the storyteller take this much time to give us her two names? And my spouse said, so she could tap her toes and wiggle her nose and make magic. <laughs> Welcome to the Bible Story Hour with the Oberg household. And friends, if we gave ourselves permission to be a little more playful and curious with scripture, when we were young, maybe it wouldn't feel so disinfected and distant when we grow. This is what the Jewish faith tradition does so well. Midrash is real because the stories we get to keep telling them, right? And by the way, I'm playing Bible story hour with someone who's read the Bible through more times than I have. 
This is the guy I've told you before when the girls were little and I'd come home from church later in the afternoon, the girls would just let the Bible fall open wherever they would read a text and say to their father, now tell us what book of the Bible we are in, right? That's the person I'm asking this week, what do you know about this woman named Dorcas? Well, she likes to give people things. Is that the end of the story, he says? I don't know, maybe I'm gonna listen to you on Sabbath, I don't know. Truthfully, I've been troubled all week with this story. I have been wondering, why did I select this passage? (laughs) What did I think was here other than here's a woman who likes to give people things, let's go home now. I've been troubled all week with this little story of Dorcas, also called Tabitha. What did I think I would find here and why didn't I just move past this story and go to the next one because the next one's a big deal. Next week, Pastor Jason, that's the story where Peter has this dream. It's more like a nightmare and the bedsheet comes down and every kind of unclean animal rests on the ground and God tells Peter, get up and kill it. That's your supper. And Peter freaks out. I can't eat these things, Jewish laws. Why didn't I skip ahead to a more fantastical tale like next week? So here we are with a woman who likes to give people things. This morning, the expansion of the Christian church happens without the the clouds breaking open or the grounds opening and swallowing people. The expansion of the Christian gospel happens without lightning and thunder and it happens without shipwreck and boats and, and insect bites. The expansion of the Christian gospel happens this morning without edicts from a church council. The expansion of the church, the Christian gospel happens because there's a woman who likes to give people things. What does this mean? Acts 9, verse 36. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. Charity, it means pity and mercy and almsgiving. It's the same word when we read of people sitting at the temple gates begging for alms. Well, Tabitha gives these alms. She's devoted to good works and acts of charity. Mercy, pity, almsgiving. When the story begins, by the way, Tabitha is dead. If you're a a Charles Dickens fan, it would read, Tabitha is dead to begin with. There is no doubt about it. This is how the story begins. She is dead. They call for Peter. He's just up the road. Peter comes and he clears the room and Peter says his words and he looks at Tabitha, verse 41, calling the saints and the widows. He showed her to be alive. She opened her eyes. She looked at Peter and he called them back in. Verse 41, this became known throughout Yapa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he, Peter, stayed on for some more time. Peter's power mimics the power in the Old Testament, Old Testament prophets. Peter's power mimics the power of Jesus who heals people. We know about the widow Nain. We know about Jairus' daughter. We know about Lazarus. So maybe this is a story about Peter's power and the power in the Jesus movement. If you stick with us, we can heal you. Maybe that's why the woman who likes to give people things. Stick with us, we can be trusted. The subscript of this story, if you want a healing, stick with us. Only then we need to remember all healings in scripture are particular and temporary. I'm going to say it again because it's troubling. (laughs) All healings and miracles in Scripture are particular and temporary, except for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the, the event of the Christian faith. 
Every other resurrection or healing in scripture is particular and temporary. That means some people get them and some people don't. It also means on this earth we surely do die. So the healing is particular and temporary and then we will die until such a time God makes this earth new again. When we understand this about the Bible, then we know we have to keep digging deeper, friends. This can't be a story about the Jesus movement. By the way, what a terrible slogan. Stick with us. We'll give you a temporary healing. Right? So I want to dig more in the story. Then what is it about this woman who likes to give people things? Tabitha, that's her Aramaic name. Dorcas, that's her name for the Greek-speaking audience. What is Peter doing? This is one of the ways you help a multilingual crowd, by the way, understand what her name means, is if you say both of her names out loud, why might that matter? Her name means deer or gazelle. Why might that matter? This is an interesting fact for me. The only thing Tabitha does in this story is wake up and open her eyes. Deers, gazelles are known to be wide-eyed animals. Isn't that interesting? Or is it just nerdy people like me? Is this why Peter wants us to know her story? She's about to open her eyes bright wide like a deer. Or is it because Peter knows her name and the man who's healed just before her, Aeneas, those names are very well known in Greek mythology and storytelling. Is it because Peter knows if I drop these names, there's a story about a deer, a dead deer, and there's a man and a healing and making these cultural connections to the listening audience. Peter's, it's cultural freight in these stories, friends. And because I don't read Latin poetry from the first century BCE, do you? I wouldn't get it. If I say, who are you gonna call? You know how to answer that, right? Who are you gonna call? That's a culturally freighted statement. If I say, let it go, you know what I'm referring to, right? If I say, uh, on the 4th of July weekend, let's all be in the room where it happened, right? Alexander Hamilton. Culturally freighted phrases we understand. Oh, these Bible stories, they're woven with things like this that, that, that fly right by me because I'm not from that place in time. And here is the storyteller, Luke, creatively weaving things together so people will know this story started in Jerusalem, but we're headed to Rome and the ends of the earth. Let me tell you and connect it to these large tales you all know. Is that why we get both of her names in the story? If I slow down and read... What I know immediately is that this is another one of those oh no, oh no stories. Like last week with Pastor Devo and the week before with Pastor Otis. And if you back up through the series eight, nine times now we've told these stories and every story is another oh no. Don't do this, this is gonna be trouble. Oh no, Holy Spirit, the people are gonna fight. And the Spirit does something and the people fight. Oh no, the people are gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna fracture. This is how the book of Acts will go all the way to the end now. You'll feel it in your gut next week and the week after. Oh, no, he's gonna, the Spirit's going to put us through this. Oh, no, Holy Spirit. That's all of these stories. And some people follow. There's a wonderfully, wonderful bit of good news here. Acts 9, verse 36 Now in Yapa, there is a disciple whose name is Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. 
There is wonderful good news there we might miss if we read too quickly. There's no pause for a protest, right? There's no fuss over a fanfare. There's simply a sentence. She is a disciple, friends. She's our disciple. Disciples are she's. The Bible has always known this. That might be the reason I needed to slow down and read the story this week. She's a disciple of Jesus. Like the first women at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, here's the first disciple to experience a resurrection in her own body. Tabitha is a disciple. So while everything's swirling around with Peter and Paul and Cornelius and everyone else, there happens to be a woman working with a little group of widows who's a disciple of Jesus. And nobody's troubled by this. The early church leaders spent centuries, by the way, on this story. They spent centuries discussing her acts of charity as the basis for her resurrection because somehow there must be a connection between doing good deeds and everlasting life. And if you wonder why Christians and Seventh-day Adventist Christians have such a long history of recovering from salvation by works, it's because it goes on a long time back. So a lot of time was used. Is that why she's raised from the dead? Because she did these acts of good work? There's also a lot of time wasted disputing her discipleship over the centuries and unfortunately even to today. That's such a waste of our time. So take the scene again. Here's a community that will witness the power of what this one disciple will do, this woman who likes to give people things. If we can imagine we're in the room where it happens, we have to imagine then a room full of women, widows, they're, 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 they have their garments that she's made them in their fingers, they're wearing them and they're touching them, weeping widows with these woven garments. They linger over these gifts. The gifts have been a sacrifice from Tabitha to them. Maybe Tabitha's a widow herself. Maybe she's wealthy. Maybe she's just a fantastic fundraiser and she has a lot of people supporting her nonprofit. We don't know. That's how these stories go in the Bible. We don't know. Maybe her home has become the community center where people drop off clothes and garments to be repurposed. Maybe she's the food bank where the grains and the produce shows up week after week. Maybe Tabitha is ground zero, the hub for all of this in the community here. What we can't deny is that there's a room full of widows, the most vulnerable citizens in the first century. We can't deny that there's a room here who have been nurtured, who've experienced mercy, and who are alive because of Tabitha. No one can take away that witness. It's right in front of their nose. We don't know what doctrines Tabitha believes. We don't know what her practices are exactly. What we know is that she seems to think that her life can be shaped like the life of Jesus. And so if Jesus did these things, I guess I'm supposed to do these things. And she doesn't wait for anyone to give her permission. She simply does. So she embodies the ministry of Jesus. What God was doing in Jesus, compassion along with people, Tabitha's now doing compassion with people. She does it with... uh, When she does this, by the way, this is not simple, and it's not simply kind and nice, right? Sometimes people say to me, oh, thank you, that was so nice, and I say to them, that's not nice, that's normal. I'll tell you when I'm being nice. 
This isn't nice. This isn't kind. What Tabitha Dorcas is doing is actually radical. The way she's wired her life, not asking permission, simply moving into the most vulnerable group in the neighborhood. She's not a philosopher. She's not a theologian. To our knowledge, she's not well-connected in the Roman government. She's not a threat yet. It'll be about 100 years before Christians are then known as the people who take care of people. In about 100 years, beautiful paragraphs will be written about the Christians, the people of Jesus, the people of the way. They not only take care of one another, they're out here in the middle of city, the city feeding hundreds and thousands. They're out here in the middle of the pandemic. These are stories from our history, friends. What Tabitha is doing is not nice. It's not generous. It's radical. My father, this was his thing. Someone would come to the house, usually teenagers all hanging around. If he knew we had a road trip or were driving back up to college from Portland to Walla Walla, my father would check everybody's vehicle. I'm gonna check your tire pressure. I'm gonna check your oil. I'm gonna wash your windshield. Do you need snow tires on the car? Do we? He would do that car after car after car. That was his superpower. That's a thing he knew how to do. That's nice. That's not what we're talking about today. We need that too. That's not what we're talking about today. Tabitha's embodying this radical love of Jesus and it will, in a, a few generations, it will become the landmark and, and the imprint of the faith tradition of Jesus. The church is bankrupt, says Willie James Jennings. The church is bankrupt unless we sit with suffering people. Think about that for a minute. We can recite commandments. We can say our prayers. We can come to worship and sing our songs. We can take our baths before Sabbath and even sit still on Sabbath. But unless the church sits with suffering people, the church is bankrupt. This we learn from the book of Acts. We can do a lot and also be bankrupt. In Adventist Christianity, the Dorcas Society begins early in the 1870s, and it begins with eight women. By the way, it's not only Adventist Christians, it's a lot of faith traditions that pick up this idea of having a Dorcas Society. Look at this image. This is a group of Lutherans about 1920, but they could be Adventists, couldn't they? And it's not only Protestants, it's some other faith traditions. They get this idea from the Bible that there's some kind of radical caretaking they could be doing in the world, and so they form these societies. According to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, here's a little definition from documents from the church, the objective of the Dorcas Society is to help people physically and spiritually in the name and spirit of Jesus. Its concern is for every case of need, irrespective of creed, class, nationality, or ethnic origin. The society attempts to meet emergency needs not provided by other agencies. The repair and distribution of good clothing is our specialty. <laughs> the underbelly, friends, of the Dorcas Society in Adventism and in Protestant faith tradition is that this became the place where women went. This is the place women went to exercise their leadership because there were not other options. If I have to say it plainly this morning, this is where women went because the structure and the institution and the people in charge were not open to their leadership, so we send them to take care of the widows in the streets. So even today, all the way to the present day, if you look at pictures of leadership in the Adventist church around the globe, the leadership teams look like this. 
This is the inter-American division south of our country. But the Dorcas Society looks like this. Well now, <laughs> this is Zambia. The next one is Zimbabwe. The next one is the Solomon Islands. This is a few years ago when more than 1,000 women from Adventist churches all around the Solomon Islands gathered in the capital city for a rally and a march to celebrate acts of charity among their people. Can you come back to the first picture, please, uh, of uh, the leadership in the church, the one, this is leadership, and then this is the Dorcas Society. All around the world, to our sisters, to every person who has heard the Spirit's call, and there has been a structure or a power in your way that pushed you aside, we hear you today, we see you today. The Spirit's call on your life is real. No one can get in the way of this. To everyone's voice who's been minimized and sidelined, millions of people have received charity because you've responded to the Spirit. It happens all the time, friends. Even in Tabitha's story, she doesn't even speak. Peter whizzes into the room. Peter does all the lights and action. She sits up and looks at him, and then he goes, but Tabitha sustained the community. So to the little girl in the last few weeks when I asked her how she was and her parents answered, and I asked her again, making eye contact, how are you, and her parents answered. And the third time when I looked at her and like, I'm really trying to talk to you, she shrugged one shoulder. I mean, this is what the big people do. This is what the big people sometimes do, and then there's a Holy Spirit, friends. Don't be surprised when the Holy Spirit's in the next generation in our church. Don't be surprised when we're standing in the intersection between pandemic and waking up alive in 2021 if we're confronted with the Holy Spirit who's given us an idea of where the vulnerable people are and where we must go. No one has to ask permission no one needs a church vote or a church council. Those are coming up in the book of Acts, but that's not yet, friends. Everyone gets to hear the call of Jesus, and the expansion of Jesus happens because Tabitha and Dorcas societies all around the world decided to practice charity. It's not nice or generous. It's radical love. It's radical love on, the lo on loose in the community. I sometimes sit and wonder if we had Peter and Paul and John and if we had Dorcas and Ananias and Sapphira and Lydia and all of the tribe from the book of Acts, if we could have them all in our space one Sabbath morning, if they could even relate to our world today and what they would say to us. How is it we think about the vulnerable in 2021 and this is what's going on in our world the month of July. There's apparently gonna be a rocket launch and we're gonna tour space. July 11 is the date I'm hearing now, right? From the Virgin Atlantic team. And something like July 20 from Jeff Bezos and his team at Amazon, Blue Origin. We've got two guys with the most money in the world having a, a little squabble over who's gonna be the first to space no matter how many billions it costs us. 
If I sound a little critical, I feel a little critical. Because we're asking ourselves about the why here. What gives me meaning when I wake up in the morning? Where, does, where is it I'm supposed to be attached in the world? Why are we here anyway, right? When I answer the question why, I always come up with Jesus. So if Jesus gave us $20 million, $20 billion, I hope we will be about charity in the world. I hope that's what we'll be about. Wouldn't it be phenomenal to have the group from the Acts here and say, I mean, this is our world. We're going to spend $25 million apiece to get a ticket on a rocket. How would you counsel us, mere humans? Everybody has to answer the why. Why do you get up in the morning? What drives you? What brings you meaning? And to whom do you owe your allegiance? It's not because I work for the church. I owe my allegiance to Jesus because I'm a child of God. So if that's how I answer the question, then I have to ask how I will allow my life to be shaped. If Jesus is my why, I have to begin to fill this out and I have to begin to prioritize. Here's a fresh question for 2021. Who are the most vulnerable in our neighborhoods and in our lives, friends? How would we answer the question and how might the answer be different today than five years ago and 10 years ago? Who are the most vulnerable? It depends on who we ask, right? If you ask Habitat for Humanity, they will tell us the most vulnerable are the unsheltered. But if you ask Habitat for Humanity in Europe, in Eastern Europe, they will tell us the most vulnerable are the Roma people, the wandering people who also happen to be unsheltered. It depends on who we ask. Who is the most vulnerable? If you ask the American Public Health Association in our country during extreme weather warnings, the most vulnerable are, are those who are susceptible to heat, who don't have a way to cool themselves. We have a child who just lived through the Seattle temperatures last week who's hosing her dog off every two hours in a city where almost no home is air-conditioned and you're 105 and 110 and climbing. They opened up cooling centers all around town. They opened up pods that were being used for pandemic so people could sleep overnight. And I said to my, my daughter, Are, have you thought of maybe going and taking the pets and sleeping in the pod? And my child said, Mama, that wouldn't be right because there are people more vulnerable than me. I love that answer. And I'm gonna say a little bit of that is because she was raised with Jesus. Who are the most vulnerable? It depends upon who we ask. If you ask the American Psychiatric Association during pandemic, they will tell us the most vulnerable were the people who lived alone. Or the most vulnerable are people who were living in concentrated living environments like prisons and care facilities for the elderly. Who's the most vulnerable around us? It depends upon who we ask how we get an answer to that question. If you ask the nation of Iceland, they have 15 itemized categories of the most vulnerable people in their country. They've thought about it. Leading the list, 12 groups. Leading the list, girls, women, children, refugees internally displaced persons, stateless person, persons, national minorities, indigenous peoples, migrant workers, disabled persons, elderly persons, HIV positive persons, aid victims, Roma people, lesbian, gay, transgender people. And then they say, clearly this is not an exhaustive list. 
These are the 12 groups we're thinking about. Who are the most vulnerable in Riverside? It depends on who we would ask. Next week, the mayor, Patricia Locke Dawson, will be here right down the street in the Riverside Seniors, in the La Sierra Senior Center. She's starting her tour of the city. Tomorrow, uh, I'm sorry, a week from today, Sabbath afternoon, 2 p.m. after church, I plan to go down there because she plans to come out and meet the neighborhood and talk about these things. It's a great question. We could ask her, who are the most vulnerable in Riverside right now? Could you tell us? Because we're the church on the corner and these are the things that we care about. What a great question we could be asking. Who's the most vulnerable? When we asked for help with foster youth, we needed $4,000 to provide gifts for about 120 12th grade students. The account has $14,000 in it, church. 14. You are telling us something, aren't you? You're telling us you see the most vulnerable and would you hurry up and do something more than give them a $25 gift card? So we're talking about it. Leadership is talking about this. What could you do with $14,000? The tuition's a little high over here, but we're very open to conversation for light tuition load. And then there's Riverside Community College right downtown. We could actually put foster youth through Riverside Community College with what you've given because you see the most vulnerable in the neighborhood. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know how we'll answer this question in 2021. Who's the most vulnerable? But you better be careful when you ask the young generation church. I've said before, put on the seatbelt and the headgear. One of the fresh ideas being circulated right now is with precious teenagers who realize that some of the most vulnerable teenagers are those who identify in the LGBTQ plus population who feel not only isolated and in danger, but are very depressed and discouraged and suffer from mental health. And if we don't know this, we need to get on Trevor Project and read the stats again. Second cause of death, suicide for this age population. So there's a teenager in our midst saying, hey, pastor, why can't we? Why can't we open the church and have a support group where this particular vulnerable group of the population could come and feel loved and sit still and be heard and share their stories? We can't figure this issue out, it seems to me, but we do know something about the radical nature of charity. So in 2021, this is what your pastoral team looks like. And this next picture is what your Dorcas Society looks like. Take it in. We still have files, paperwork, referring to the La Sierra Dorcas Society. We now call it Food Pantry Plus. It has a sibling down the street, the Wellness Warehouse. It's on our agenda, on our mind this year. Who are the most vulnerable? What are the next acts of radical love that must be in front of us? Acts chapter nine, verse 36 says this. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple. That's all we need to know, church. Now in La Sierra, there are 
disciples. I know it because I see you all the time. This week, I heard a sweet story of someone who invited guests into his home. It was gonna be a light little snack kind of a meal and before it was over, the guests are out in the yard shoveling all of the sod and all of the bark and fixing the lawn and doing the maintenance while the older church member just watched. They wouldn't let me lift a shovel, he said. I mean, I tried to help, it's my lawn. This week I heard another story of one of us who makes her way from house to house in the community each week, one widow to the next widow to the next widow to the next widow. She's having front porch conversations and back garden conversations. She's dropping off fresh produce. She's checking in. She's giving a hug. She's taking medication. She's connecting with their children and making sure from one widow to one widow to one widow to the next. And I did not ask permission, but you should know this is Lorianne from our office. Oh, she's not on official church business. Oh, no, no. She's a disciple. And we call that radical, radical charity, reckless love. Amen.